This morning's lesson comes to us from the book according to Luke, as it is written, known as the book of Acts. Luke wrote one book, Luke-Acts, in two parts. The second part, Acts, is mostly about the birth and the growth of the church as it made its mission throughout the world. It begins with Jesus leaving them in the scene known as Ascension in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. May God open up to us an understanding of this word. In the first book, Theophilus, Luke writes, Theophilus means lover of God, could be any of us. I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While they were staying, uh, while staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set down by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. On Ascension Sunday, the question I am left with is not how did Jesus ascend to God, as if He rose up like a slow-moving space shuttle, leaving giant plumes of smoke behind him, the cloud. Not how, but why. Why did he have to leave at all? Things were actually going pretty well the 40 days after his resurrection. He was no longer limited by time and space, and so he could come and go as he pleased. And the first place he went, according to Luke, was to those downhearted disciples, the two disciples making their way back to Emmaus. And he began to walk with them, and they did not recognize him. And as he walked, he talked and opened up to them the meaning of the scriptures. And then they invited him home, and he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and then their eyes were opened as he had revealed to them his presence in the sacrament. And then that afternoon, he comes again to the other disciples who were locked in a room, scared to death, having no idea what would come next. He just shows up and scares them so much they 
think they are seeing a ghost. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. And then he showed him his hands and his feet, that is, his scars left over from his cross. And he ate a piece of fish, giving them assurance that indeed he was present and not a ghost. And in fact, he was the one they had been with and witnessed dying on a cross. Finally, he gives them their mission to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit and then starting from Jerusalem into Judea, even Samaria, who was their enemies, out into the rest of the world to spread the good news of God's kingdom to all, emphasize all people, no one excluded. The last thing he tells them is to go. It's that way in every single gospel, go go out into the world and proclaim that God loves every single one of us like only a mother or a father can and forgives us too. And then he leaves them, us. He leaves us. Actually, in Luke's story, twice, there are two ascensions. There's one at the end of Luke and one at the beginning of Acts, as if he wants to emphasize the fact that, yes, he has gone. Forty days after this resurrection, when Jesus shows up at all the important times, his disciples are starting to get used to it. He's gone. I got to tell you, I wouldn't mind Jesus being around more. A little sighting here or there wouldn't hurt. Just, you know, a thumbs up or a pat on the back or some sign or something that he is present, he is here, and that he's, he's leading us. I wouldn't mind a little more Jesus' presence. But that's not what we get. I know the theological, orthodox answer to why Jesus ascended to God. He ascended into heaven to sit on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. That Jesus ascended to God to take his rightful place as the Lord of all and the judge of all. But I got to tell you that doesn't do it for me. It just does not move me. It may be orthodox, but it just doesn't move me. There's got to be more to it. I think that he left them, us, so that we could become a church. The incarnate presence and body of Christ in a world, in a lot more places and ways that even Jesus in his resurrected self could be alone. He left us so that we could start growing up and growing out in the spiritual and communal way of Jesus. That each of us, in our own best days, our own best Christian days, are called to be, like every good parent knows their child is called to be. He left us so that we could start the process of becoming adults free from the umbilical cord of Jesus' hovering presence. It seems to be paradoxical 
that one rule of life is that creation begins with separation. It's true in the biblical poem of creation. And when in the first stanza, God separates the light from the darkness. He's talking about the metaphorical light, not the actual light. He separates the light from the darkness. And every move of creation after that is a process of separating things into their particular parts. Physicists say that the Big Bang began with this humongous moment of separation into a, whatever the largest number uh, up to infinity is, into a gamillion, gazillion smaller pieces of the universe or universes that continues to expand even as we sit here. Biologists say that life began as some single-cell protozoa began separating itself into two, then four, then eight, then 16, and there was life. We were born through separation as we were so rudely pushed out of our comfort womb with our mothers, and the umbilical cord was cut, and we were left in that moment discovering Life. I don't know, there seems to be a trend here. Life's first lesson, it seems, is about detachment, about separating. Turns out every step toward maturity is about this process of separating. I remember how hard it was the first time we hired a babysitter and went out, leaving our firstborn alone I remember how hard it was when we dropped her off in the church nursery. The first day she went to kindergarten and then first grade, then summer camp. The first time she went on a date, then off to college. Now that I think about it, you know, forget about separation anxiety for kids. I think it's more about the parents. Humans are the only creatures, it turns out, who cannot freely throw our children out of the nest. We can barely do it, and when we do, we always have strings attached, either financial or emotional, like guilt. Why haven't you called in the last week? Give the gift that keeps on giving. Keep that string attached. Our hearts don't really want them to separate, but we know rationally in our heads that they must. And they are just as equally ambivalent about it all. If I may be a little personal, I remember painfully the day that Anita and I took Megan, our firstborn, to college. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Megan and I had drawn incredibly close during the two years after her mom had died. I had learned about what it is to be a present father in a way I hadn't been, and also, in a way, a mother. Then when Anita and I were married two years after that accident, Megan had another experience of separation, an important one, a good one, but hard. 
Two months after that, I was standing with Megan in the parking lot at the University of Georgia after having unloaded her U-Haul of furniture into her dorm room. When it was time to leave, she came to me and hugged me and did not let go, crying. I had to literally pull her arms out from me, give her a hug, and turn immediately as fast as I could to get to the U-Haul where I broke down like a three-year-old so much that Anita had to drive. That night we got home and the phone rang and it was Megan. She was lonely and scared and wanted me to come get her. And I had to fight every instinct in my body not to turn that car around and go back and pick her up in the hour drive it took to get there and bring her home. But I knew, I knew that if I did, it would have been the worst thing I could have ever done. A year later, she would go to Rwanda for six weeks and work in a boys' orphanage. She would go to Grenada and work in a medical school. She would go back to Rwanda and work again for six weeks. After she graduated, she would pile her Prius up and put on a U-Haul trailer, and she and her dog would drive out to Denver to start a new life. After that, she drove to Palo Alto, California, to start another new life. Somehow, I have to think that her experience of separating from me and us had something to do with her powerful sense of freedom and independence that she claimed later as an adult. For my money, at least, this is why Jesus, vamoosed, didn't stay around any more than 40 days after his resurrection because he knew the tendency of all of us to hang on to Jesus' apron strings, to cling to our mothers and our fathers unless forced to separate. Jesus loved us enough to give us distance. Not like a helicopter parent, this God of ours. Not like one who hovers over us and continues to push and shove and manage. This God is free to leave us and to move away from us as an act of love, as all love is, when it doesn't try to manage and control the other. The trouble is, of course, that we just don't like it. That when this anxiety of separation comes, we feel this gap, and, we, and then we try to fill it with something else. The vacuum of separation between us and God has to be filled with something else. Maybe it's material things. Maybe it's people, our spouse or our child or children or friends, or maybe it's politics or power or influence or even especially religion dogma and doctrine or our own particular theology or denomination or the most dangerous idol of all, the absolute certainty that we have the truth. The list is endless. Nothing can fill it. Nothing can fill that vacuum. As Luther said, we are born with a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And as Augustine said, even before that, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. And God leaves us in that restless state. Why? Because that's the way we grow. 
That's the way love grows, and that's the way the kingdom of God grows. What scares me about today is that we are regressing. We seem to be reverting back to that childhood clinging emotionality. Instead of expanding, we are contracting into smaller and smaller gated communities of race, ideology, generations, politics, and especially religion. We're becoming more and more needful of certain and absolute answers to our questions instead of just owning the distance and the separation between us and the transcendent, holy, other, other God. Promising to close the gap with literal interpretations and righteous living We are promising to do away with this anxiety between God and us, and it is the great lie. Through the power of the priest, or the pope, less so now, or the preacher, or the interpretation of scripture, or the charismatic movement of the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, we say that's going to fill our vacuum? No. God is other. This is why spirituality is such a big word these days. It is a profitable business because each one of us has a gap, a vacuum. And the book that sells the most truth in terms of the guru or the process for filling that gap seems to be the largest seller. But friends, I have to say, it has to begin with detachment. We must give up on that, separ- on that need uh, for this emotionally warm and fuzzy experience of the warm and fuzzy presence of Jesus Christ. Yes, we get that from time to time, but that is not the focus or the point. In fact, when we get real warm and fuzzy, the Holy Spirit happens to come and blow us out of our comfort zones, out into the world where there's great risk and great adventure. Christian community, by the way, is built on this, and until we disappoint ourselves that we're going to find the answer to all our questions. By the way, marriage is the same way, isn't it? Until we experience the disappointment that this other person cannot fill up my deepest need, we will not know what marriage or church is all about. If this gets a little scary for you, thinking about all this distance between Jesus and us, relax. He's actually as close as the wind that blows, as near to us as the air we breathe, only now through the Holy Spirit. Like the wind, it is ever-present. But free to blow where it will, we cannot hold it or manage it or control it or own it. We can only open ourselves up to it and let it be the very source that energizes our life. The spirit wind may bring us warm and fuzzy experiences, but it will most likely, as I said, blow us out into the world. 
It will blow us to reconcile with our enemies and to forgive someone we had rather not. This wind spirit, which came at Pentecost next week, by the way, blows them and us into the next stage of emotional and spiritual maturity so that we can be with not like-minded others. As the Pentecost story shares, they didn't even speak the same language, but they heard in their own way the same word, where we can share our differences in humility and trust. This is community, and we cannot create it artificially by forcing people to conform or coercing them to believe like you or I say they should. It only comes with the Spirit. Friends, Jesus ascended so that the space between us and God will be filled not by absolute certitude, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that has its own freedom. And inasmuch as we are adults and grow up into that spiritual maturity, we will find the amazing freedom that that Spirit gives us to love and be loved and to forgive others and to reconcile. It's hard. It's hard. I'd rather just crawl back in the womb most of the time. It's hard to grow up. But sooner or later, we've got to cut the cord. We've got to. Maybe it's that thin and flimsy thing that stages for faith that needs cut. Maybe it's that string that we've braided together of all of the sayings we've grown up with that we call now our understanding of life that needs cutting. Maybe it's that cord of ideology and politics woven by the hands of culture or our particular team that needs cutting. Maybe it's, I don't know, you name it. Maybe it's the chains of hopelessness and despair and addiction that needs cutting. But whatever it is that we hang on by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can cut the cord. And we must. Let me end by saying one of the things I hope to come out of the Dreams for Riverside conversations that we have been having is that we can then begin to step back a little, to separate a little from the same old, same old that we've always lived in, to start dreaming and living outside the box a little, to risk a little, to open ourselves up for the movement of the Spirit First, by asking ourselves, what is it about this that I am clinging to? If you're anything like me, as they say, I've never given anything up that didn't have claw marks on it. But if we can at least see what we're clinging to, then we can begin to open ourselves up to a new possibility. We might see this Holy Spirit moving us into a brand new place It might be not that nostalgic nostalgic yearning for us to get back to what we used to be. It might not be a gym or a new chancel or an organ or selling property. Who knows what? 
But we must be open to the movement of the Spirit and to give ourselves up to that possibility. And my hope is that through this process, we have done just that. So let's hoist our sails and let that wind blow us into new places. It's a scary thing to grow up, to be separated from the things that we cling to, like our mothers and the same old ways of life. But thank God, by the power of this Holy Spirit, Jesus will always stand before us with a pair of scissors in his hand, offering them to cut the cord when we are finally ready and overcome our fear with love and faith and trust in our life together.